Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest installment of H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series by H2 Tech, the hydrogen technology journal by Gulf Energy Information. My name is Tyler Campbell, managing editor for H2 Tech, and your host for this week's H2 Tech Talk. Today, we are joined by Marty Neese, Chief Executive Officer at Vertigy, about the challenges of driving down the investment and energy costs required for the industrial scale hydro, green hydrogen production, um, Vertigy's pilot plant in California, and much more. Now, let's welcome our guest in. How are you doing today, Marty? I'm doing well. And yourself, Tyler? I'm doing good. Good weather, so I'm happy. Okay, so Marty, to start us off, uh, how about you give me a brief um, description of how Vertigy started off and, and when was that? Yeah, so if you want the origin story of Vertigy, you have to go back about 10 years to a company called Chemetry. And Chemetry had been working for uh, almost a decade on decarbonizing the ethylene dichloride and propylene oxide industries. And what they were doing was um, uh, really interesting electrochemistry and coupling that with redox chemistry. But along the way, they had been supporting the, the chloralkaline industry, and there was a lot of learning and a lot of leverage in what they were doing. Uh, they were dealing with hydrogen as a byproduct of their process and then the, the founder of Chemistry came up with the idea, what if we created a hydrogen on purpose company? And he presented that idea to Coastal Ventures, which was uh, the seed funding uh, arm of, of Vertigy. And we did a spin out in May of 2021. So we packed up a whole team of people that used to be with Chemistry, lab assets, a pilot plant, 175 patents, 10 years of research and development, and 10 years of investment in that R&D, and spun it into a new company called Vertigy. So we really hit the ground running when we started in May of 2021 with that with that leverage and that turbocharge from the chemistry background. Well, I guess if you were already dealing with, you know, like petrochemicals and you're using hydrogen and Get refineries and things like that, then it's only natural that you would take charge in the new green hydrogen movement. Exactly. And what chemistry had been doing in those 10 years was really pioneering electrochemical cells of very large proportion, single element architecture electrochemical cells. And they were using them in, with a, a redox chemistry configuration but all of that in, inherent knowledge of, of cell design and system design and operating performance of, of a pilot plant and whatnot on behalf of the industrial chemicals industry was brought to bear with Vertigy as a starting point. So, you know, I was the last person to join the team as the, the first CEO. And then we started in earnest when, when I joined and, um, it's been amazing. You know, we we essentially got a team. There's a core team that's worked together for eight and ten years. So it's not like two people at a lab at the university that came up with an idea and then started a company. This was well underway long before I got here, 
And Vertigy is just the, the next in, incarnation of a hydrogen on purpose company. Fair enough. So Marty, uh, Vertigy has its sights set on driving down the investment and energy costs needed for the industrial scale production of green hydrogen. What is it about your patented e-dynamic e technology that makes it the best fit for heavy industries like steel, oil and gas, mining, uh, chemical and, and energy sectors? Yeah, so first and foremost, we've started with the precept that a very large electrolyzer is the most uh, robust way to go about addressing the market of industrial scale applications. So from a first principles perspective, we sought to make a 20 megawatt elect electrolyzer as our base product. That's our e-dynamic platform. And we're really leveraging very large electrochemical cells. So they're three meters squared electrochemical cells, 125 kilowatts a piece in terms of output. So if you were thinking about a, a 100 megawatt plant, for example, that would require 800 cells and five electrolyzers in our configuration. So just really designed from a first principles perspective to solve scalability. And when you think about industrial applications, scalability and, and large applications are gonna go hand in hand. So that's that's really where we started with eDynamic. I see. So um, with eDynamic, is that something uh, you believe can be scaled up to a gigawatt scale? Yeah, absolutely. And with that focus on very large electrochemical cells that run at high current densities, it's such a, a simplified system relative to everything else that's out there. It really lends itself to uh, large scale production down the road. So we're not there yet, but certainly that is that is definitely the ambition and what we're seeking to do with our 20 megawatt e-dynamic product. Fair enough. So, okay, so let's talk about your your Moss Landing, California uh, facility. So you have a three cell, 500 kilowatt commercial electrolyzer module uh, demonstrated the lowest capex in the industry and the lowest hydrogen production costs when coupled with renewable energy. How are the e-dynamic electrolyzers designed to best capitalize on the fluctuating renewable energy market? Yeah, so as the name implies, we have uh, this very large electrochemical cell that I talked about, enabled with membranes, allows us to have a 20 to one turndown ratio. So what that means is by design, our cell and our system is capable of coupling with intermittent power sources. And we, uh, because of the use of um, membranes, we can change the operating conditions of the plant or the electrolyzer really, really rapidly. So that's the kind of the genesis of the name eDynamic. So when you're thinking turn down from highest productivity to, lo to low productivity, if you will, we can do that in seconds. And if you're turning up the plant from, let's say, low current density to high current density, 
we can do that in very short number of minutes. Let's call that two minutes or less. And taken together, that really allows you to take a 20 megawatt plant and couple it with renewable power, whether that's wind or solar, um, and whether that's behind the meter or whether that's grid connected. And it just uh, really enables what we call load gaining and load shedding. So uh, almost every plant, of course, can, can turn down and load shed. But what's unique about what we do is we also have the ability to load gain or turn the system up to maximum productivity when energy prices are favorable. So it's it's really uh, purpose designed to to couple with renewables. So is that basically like a deal where um, sun is shining, wind is blowing, um, but when it's not, you can kind of change gears very quickly? That's it. You got it exactly. And if you look at you know input power, whether that's um, through virtual PPAs, whether that's renewable energy credits, whether that's uh, behind the meter. Yeah, we, we want to be able to follow that input power source really rapidly and optimize. So when energy prices are quite favorable and you've got access to renewables, you can you can produce as strongly as possible and bias towards productivity. And when energy prices, let's say if you're grid connected, if energy prices are less favorable and you've got peak pricing, you can turn the system down and harvest. Uh, you can basically optimize towards efficiency on that end. So taken together, very high efficiency on one end and very high productivity on the other. And that sweep ratio, if you will, really allows for some uh, significant benefits on levelized cost of hydrogen. Gotcha. Okay, so your your um, electrolyzers aim to facilitate scalability and future-proof plant design with cell and membrane swappability as a priority. Uh, can you elaborate on how plant managers can benefit from this design? Yeah, absolutely. So we use what's um, called a single element architecture which means that each of our cells are independent and you could think of them as smart cells. So each electrochemical cell, as I mentioned, 125 kilowatts apiece, each of those you could think of as almost like a sensor. So we've got the ability to monitor the performance of the cells and turn that into predictive and preventive maintenance insight. And then at the same time, the single element um, cell architecture lends itself to ease of serviceability and maintenance. So it's a, it's a very simple configuration of half shells that can be uh, opened and electrodes and membranes can be exchanged as needed. So let's say that you know down the road, a plant manager comes across um, the idea of a, a new electrode, a new catalyst, a new coating, a new membrane that he, he or she has seen out in the marketplace, we can very easily change out electrodes and or membranes and keep the plant in either 
great working condition or take advantage of new innovations as they come to market. Uh, that's that's what we mean by future proofing. Mm, I see. And these electrolyzers, um, are they AEM? They can be AEM. Our cells are capable of membranes and or AEMs, CEMs. They're membrane agnostic. Let's put it that way. So to go on with the type of electrolyzer, uh, do you see any advantages in using an AEM over like a PEM or alkaline? Um, yes, in terms of we have the ability to use very, very large membranes. So think 1.1 meter high by 2.8 meters wide. So that area of membrane lends itself to this large cell format that I talked about. And the large cell format and the dynamic range uh, that's in, incorporated in that same approach really makes for an ultra uh, low capex solution because you just need fewer of everything. So less cells, less balance of plant, less footprint. Um, it's it's really taking advantage of the scale of the cell and then numbering that up to give you a significant capex advantage. And so that that's where I would put the the benefit of using membranes. Coupling that also with the dynamic range that I spoke about earlier and the ability to turn a plant up and down rather quickly, you kind of get the best of both worlds. Very low cost basis of materials of construction, if you will, given that we're an alkaline system. And at the same time, the responsiveness that you would see with other systems like PEM. And then last but not least, um, we don't use platinum group metals. So that makes us a little bit more resilient, if you will, relative to commodity input pricing. So it's a, what metals do you, what do you use? Primarily we use nickel for our cells, but that's not, uh, we don't need to stay with nickel. There's all kinds of things you can do with nickel or with other metals. But for now, we've started with nickel as a basis for our cells. Okay, that works. Okay, so we've talked a bit about your technology. Um, being that you are in the U.S. and uh, I feel like I'd be remiss to not at least ask you about the Inflation Reduction Act. So um, obviously it has the potential to allocate billions to boost domestic green hydrogen. How, how do you see this impacting the trajectory uh, for the company as a whole or and the industry as a whole, I should say? Yeah, I I think it's one of the most uh, sweeping pieces of legislation that changed the game overnight. And it was completely unanticipated by Vertigy anyway. I don't know if others were, were more well aware of it. But when the IRA came out and we saw the capabilities to avail ourselves of these green hydrogen incentives and production tax credits, if you will, it changed everything. E immediately, the economics of producing green hydrogen domestically in the US became uh, far superior than any other economics we could find anywhere on the planet. 
So immediately the the magnet the magnet kind of polarized towards start in the U.S. And um, really super super proud of the administration for getting that over the goal line, and really happy that um, it was done on a bipartisan basis. And you know, uh, I I hope that support continues. So you said she anticipated that. So um, no, we we did not anticipate. Oh, that you did came not. That was a complete surprise. Oh, we okay. were going as strongly as possible to to um, organize ourselves in a way that we could do market entry in Europe first, and it just changed the sequence. We we had to switch. The economics are just so compelling in the U.S. We switched our market entry prioritization. That makes sense. So is there anything that you think is missing from the IRA that could accelerate the industry? The one thing that is difficult to do is, you know, there's always this, I was in solar for a long time, and there's always this the tendency for different administrations to revisit the work of others and then put it in harm's way by saying, hey, we don't like that policy that was done in the past. We're going to change things. If there was any kind of uh, way to ensure that there isn't a backtracking, if you will, that kind of stability would be warmly welcomed as we sit and contemplate where to invest in production assets or where to invest in projects. You need that continuity of support to be able to take on multi-year projects. So if if I were uh, asking politicians to do anything, it would be to say that it's uh, the duration of the incentives is guaranteed and can't be touched for whatever period of time, just so we have a stability and background for investment in the long term. And, and that way you can really see the industry take off and get well situated so that we don't need policy support in the long run, but in the short run, it certainly would help to stabilize investment decisions. Yeah, that's true, because I, it would be a shame, especially with a lot of these projects, you know, they're not going to be finished until 2025, 2026, and, you know, some even further than that and beyond. It'd be a shame if uh, another administration came and just kind of undid all the the work that's already been, um, all the progress that's already being made. Yeah, and um, you know, look, I'm I'm extremely optimistic that that's not going to be the case because hydrogen is touching every sector of the industrial landscape, and you know there are a lot of people that could benefit considerably by decarbonizing, not just uh, from an environmental perspective, which is quite obvious. But from an economic perspective, you know, there's there's every bit the opportunity for the United States to lead the world in the deployment of green hydrogen at scale, and it just needs persistence and just let let the industry get kicked off uh, substantially. And I think the U.S. has every chance to lead the world in this activity. Fair enough. So before we wrap things up, Marty, I'm going to ask you, uh, what is next for Vertigy? 
Yeah, so we've got, you know, there's the strategic side, which is backlog, 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 which means build a portfolio of demand that you can um, use as the foundation for the company. You know, having that book of business and having that that demand profile across oil and gas, industrial chemistry or industrial chemicals and mining and steel really is job one for us. The second part is more on the tactical side, which is continuing to evolve the productization of our, our offering. And they go hand in hand, of course, but you know, really focused on demand building and then uh, meeting the moment with a product that can satisfy the demand that we're building in the background. All right. All right, well, that's all I have for you today, Marty, unless you had any closing thoughts you'd like to give the audience. Yet the one closing thought I would have for your audience, especially, and maybe this is an audience that's already there mentally, but this is one of the most optimistic periods I, I've ever seen in my career. And so I like to tell people that it's the case for optimism starts and stops with this green hydrogen revolution that's getting ready to launch. It just incorporates so much of the goodness and the hard work that people have done over decades to get solar and wind in economic competitive shape such that we can decarbonize at massive scale now. And green hydrogen is that Swiss army knife, if you will, that we can apply across different sectors. And you couple that with renewables and it really paints a compelling picture of the future. And it's the case for optimism for me. And you know, I could not be more enthused or excited about where this industry is going and how it's going to help solve so many of the intractable problems that are out there from a decarbonization standpoint and do so economically so that it's not um, uh, a false choice, if you will. It's a really good economic sound choice of decarbonization. And I, I think that's extraordinary that we've, we've gotten to this point and I, I can't be more excited to contribute in the transition. Excellent, excellent. What a time to be alive, right? Exactly. I, I, I wish I was 30 years younger, put it that way. All right, Marty. Well, thank you again for joining us for a brief discussion. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, Tyler. Really appreciate it. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in for another episode of H2 Tech Talk. Please remember to share and subscribe.